We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. It's the True Faith Newcastle United podcast, special podcast for you, the listener. Alex Hurst, Michael Collin, Norman Riley, Adam Widgerton, and special guest this week for uh, part of the show, at least, uh, Yusuf Hattam. Um, Yusuf is a, a writer for True Faith, but I'll let you introduce yourself in a second, Yusuf. First of all, this podcast, why I released a podcast on a Friday, what's going on? Uh, well, it's been an absolutely ridiculous week for Newcastle United, both in terms of, well, just the whole thing. We're going to get into it. You all know what I'm talking about. Steve Bruce, Matt Ritchie, leaks, traitors, treason, whatever. And then today, when things were at their most ridiculous, Newcastle United released what they themselves described as a club update. First time we've heard from Newcastle United in a long time about anything. Hilariously, lads, by the way, they put a picture of St. James's Park in the background of the club update with a load of stewards just in the... They've got to have a better photo on file than just a load of stewards in the ground, but we'll park that one for now. Yusuf, thanks for coming on the show, especially at uh, short notice. Why don't you introduce yourself a little for the listener? I will, yes. I'm Yusuf, and when I'm, when I'm not busy supporting Newcastle, um, I'm a lawyer, so sometimes those two seem to seem to coincide and today seems to be one of those days um yeah done a bit of writing for true faith and done a little bit too much reading about the takeover i think we're going down but i think the other lads will come on to that but yeah i'm going to be on today just talking a little bit about some of the news that's been in and the judgments that have come out nice one well thanks thanks for joining us mate we're really grateful short notice on a friday afternoon um, why do you, you know? Tell us, tell the listeners what what has happened today. Why has Twitter gone crazy? Why are some people taking this as proof that everything that they hoped for was going to happen? What what has happened in this club update? Well, I, 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 I've not actually been looking at the club update. What I've been reading is the, the more dry stuff, the actual legal judgments, and what they do say and what they don't. So, if I just go into a little bit about what that is. So the background, obviously, as everybody knows, the club is in arbitration with the Premier League, challenging the Premier League's view that PIF is an arm of the Saudi state. Um, arbitration is a bit like court, but with two main differences. It's, it's private and you get to choose the judges, you choose the arbitrators, and you have very limited ability to go back to the court. Um, the court oversees the process, but its role is quite limited. So what's happened here is um, there are three arbitrators and the process is the club chooses one, which we did. The Premier League chooses one, which they did. And then those two arbitrators come together and choose the third one. And as I said, there's only very limited ability for anyone to go back to court once arbitration has started. One of those situations is 
when one of the parties feels that any of the arbitrators lacks independence or might be biased. And that's a very, very, very hard thing to prove. But that's exactly what the club has tried and failed to do. So what we know is this, Newcastle proposed a gentleman called Lord Neuberger. He's a very, very senior retired judge. The Premier League appointed somebody called Lord Dyson. He's a very, very senior retired judge. And then those two got together and selected a third gentleman called Michael Belloff, who is probably the most eminent and respected sports lawyer anywhere in the world. He's been a lawyer for 54 years and a QC for 40 of those. And he was the obvious choice. Now, he and the other two signed a declaration saying they were independent and there was no bias here. And that's totally normal. What then happened a couple of weeks later, and this is all stuff from the judgment, nothing what the club said, because none of this was really what the club wanted to say. But what happened a couple of weeks later was the Premier League's lawyers wrote, and this is a courtesy, this happens all the time, because actually the world of these sort of big London lawyers and judges is actually a smaller one than it sometimes seems. The uh, Premier League's lawyers wrote to the club's lawyers saying, actually, Mr. Belloff has previously given advice in relation to the Premier League's rules. About four years ago, he was instructed to look at those rules and how they were drafted. He doesn't think it creates a problem here. He doesn't think there's an independence issue here. But just letting you know, um, is everything all right? Now, that's a common courtesy. I've seen it countless times in my career. And nine times out of ten, everyone says, you know, thanks for your candour. Thanks for being up front. Let's all just move on, act like grown-ups and carry on with the arbitration. Nothing to see here. Now, Newcastle United, in its infinite wisdom, decided no and decided to challenge the bias, sorry, challenge the independence of Mr. Belloff and say he was biased and shouldn't be an arbitrator here. Um, they'll have taken legal advice from Nick DeMarco and from their solicitors, and I can't speculate too much as to what Nick would have said. He's an extremely well-respected lawyer. He's very, very strong in his field, and interestingly actually works out of the same office, works out of the same chambers as Michael Belloff. So he's, <laughs> Michael Belloff's probably something of what Nick DeMarco aspires to be 20 or 30 years down the line, but that's by the by. DeMarco probably would have advised um, that this was a difficult argument for the club to make, that it was an uphill struggle, particularly when Belloff himself had said, probably no problem here, and the club's own arbitrator had nominated Belloff. But nonetheless, the club thought, nah, that's all right, we'll give it a go. And the club has failed. And what the judgment says I'm only interested in what the judgment says. I'm not that interested in what Mike Ashley says the judgment says. What the judgment says is, no, there was nothing to see here. The advice that Belloff had given a few years ago, yes, he has previously looked at the Premier League's rules and advised on them. But this dispute is nothing to do with what the Premier League's rules say. This dispute is to do with whether the Premier League has properly applied its own rules. Those are two different things. As far as the judge was concerned, that wasn't a conflict. That wasn't a situation of possible bias. And I think the judge was probably right. And I don't think Nick DeMarco is surprised. And I don't think the club is surprised by what's come out there today. What the judge actually said was, um, just quoting from it, if I can find it. 
can't find it, but essentially it would have been embarrassing, professionally embarrassing for Mr. Beloff to have basically lied and said there was no bias or issue when there was one. And for a guy who's been a lawyer for 54 years, is a multimillionaire and doesn't really have anything to prove to anyone, the idea that he would have lied about <laughs> um, independence and bias issues is just, to my mind, not plausible. So nonetheless, the club thought they'd go ahead and they've lost. So just to bring it all to a conclusion, the question arises, well, why did the club go ahead with an application to the court, which wouldn't have been cheap, um, cheaper than Joe Linton, but not cheap? <laughs> why did they go ahead with something that was likely to fail in which their lawyer, I don't want to, you know, this isn't Nick DeMarco's fault, by the way. He's not Superman with a bad set of facts. He's no more likely to win than anyone else. Um, why did the club go ahead with it? One is, one view is, well, arbitration is a private process. Making an application of this nature was one of the only ways to keep something about the takeover in the public domain. Everyone's talking about the takeover today. And that's because there is at least something in the domain in the public to talk about. And for a long time, we've been sitting around wondering what's going on. Well, at least now there is something of substance to discuss, which maybe Mike Ashley thinks at least people are talking about it rather than talking about something else. But the bad news for people who thought this might all be over quick, pretty quickly is the club's actually wasted the last four months. <laughs> this issue about Beloff's you know, potential issues here. This was raised at the end of October 2020. Now, if the club had said nothing and had been like, oh, thank, thanks very much for the information, nothing to see here, let's all move on, then what would have immediately happened is the arbitrators would have got together with the lawyers and the parties and would have agreed a timetable for things going forward in the arbitration. As it happened, everything had to be put on hold for the last four and a half months while this got resolved. So we're no further forward now in the legal process than we were in October. So I wrote an article for True Faith um, a couple of weeks ago saying that this probably wouldn't be over until the end of 2022. Well, you can now put that back by four months because we're absolutely no further forward whatsoever. So in a nutshell, it was not a good day for the club, not a good day in court. And um, the club says, you know, they're looking at the prospect of an appeal. I believe that's something that they've said in the um, in the club update. But um, yeah, that's basically where we are. Sorry, that was a bit a bit dry. But um, there's so much kind of noise. <laughs> there's so much kind of noise and heat out there. I thought I'd try and at least stick on the dry stuff that's in the judgment. Not at all. You said that it was very interesting. That's why I asked you to come on. Uh, having seen your analysis earlier in WhatsApp, it's, it's, what, it's what I think, and I could be wrong, as a fan, I'd rather know exactly what's happened. I mean, it's, it's fascinating you make that point there about it wasting four months. In the club update, um, it says they're going to consider an appeal to this seemingly impossible case to win in terms of the removal of, of this individual. So, so I'd assume that would take up even more time. Um Mickey Mickey's has messaged me now and said, don't come to me about this because Mickey told me at work before that he was really, really positive about the takeover now. What's what's killed your positivity positivity, Mick? Well, I mean that was just soul destroying, wasn't it? Um the only the only thing that I the only thing that I still hang my hat on a little bit about uh, to try and be slightly positive in difficult circumstances, at least they've kind of at least they've 
got the balls to like take the bull by the horns and they're, go, they're going at it. That, that's all I can think. And, you know, if somebody somewhere must have genuinely thought that this guy had at least some bias. Um, whether or not it's true, I don't know. But, yeah, I, I'm, I'm clutching the straws here to try and be positive because that was uh, utterly demoralising. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Um, I don't know whether Norman or Adam want to come in on this. Yeah, I mean, I'll just say... Is it, could this be a kind of because the, the the major problem seems to be separating Piff from the Saudi royal family? Is that is that is that essentially the the, the main crux of the, the the biggest obstacle that we have for any of this kind of going through? Because could this not be again completely speculating? I don't know anything about this. Is could this be like delay tactics while they try and sort out a a new approach or a, a solution to what? is a major hurdle that they've not been able to overcome yet. Could this be simply just buying time maybe just for, for them to get their own house in order in terms of how they're going to go back into that in a, in a court battle in terms of how they can prove separately that MBS has, 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 is, is not in control of PIF in any way, shape or form. Could that be a, could that be a possibility, Yusef, or you're not sure? I guess the, the thing about that is you've got to um, just query, you know, who, whose interests is delay in? Um, you know, there was all the stuff in the media yesterday about the, the PIF being interested in, in the Milan. Um, you know, it, I, th I just feel, you know, these are professional investors, sovereign wealth funds. Um, with each day that goes by, you know, there isn't just a load of money put to one side for this takeover. The longer the arbitration takes the longer it takes to get over the owners and directors test that, you know, the longer, the longer this goes on, I don't see how it's a good thing for the takeover. I mean, if the arbitration takes till 2023, 2024 to win, and we get a finding that the premier league's got everything wrong. Well, fat lot of good that is if um, the buyers have moved on. So you might be right. I think that they may well be just trying to play hardball and just by fighting every little argument and, um, I think, you know, Mickey was saying, you know, maybe they felt there was some prospect of this winning. You know, Nick DeMarco, um, as a lawyer, you know, you can you can fight cases or you can fight arguments that you think on balance might fail, but you can't argue things that are professionally embarrassing and have no hope. So there would have been some basis for making the arguments that they made. On balance, they, they were doomed to failure. But you're right, Mickey, there was some hope. So maybe they're just trying to fight on every single front. But... The more the matters are delayed, I think the takeover recedes into the, the rearview mirror with each day that goes by, and and this has put it back by four months. Also, like you know, we heard we heard yesterday um, in in the press, it was someone on Twitter saying that all all takeover talks have been completely shelved while we try and avoid relegation. At least you know that that someone's still fighting for it. I'm really clutching here. Sorry. <laughs> Just. Um... Just a quick comment from, from me on the, the the kind of tragic comedy element of it all. Just the, the mere fact that the club questioned the impartiality of a, uh, a judge who'd been selected by somebody that they themselves nominated is it, it, truly spectacular. And if I, if, I, if I think of a physical representation of the whole approach, you know what I see? I actually see one of Mike Ashley's sports direct stores where you walk in and it's just, none of it makes any sense. It's just like a load of confusing mess and things thrown together hoping for the best result. It's um, truly spectacular and it's up there with like, there's like a, a kind of Shakespearean farce element to it. Wonderful stuff in there. Yousef, 
Comedia dell'arte. After, after it ends, after it ends, you sniff, would you um, please just write this up as a like a little novella? Because it'll be it'll be amazing. It'll become a play. We'll make it into a play. True a tragedy. A tragedy. There it is. Tragic comedy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, just 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 to clarify, I mean, one of the points you were making, Norman, there just uh, is it. Rem it's remarkable to challenge someone that you know we ourselves had put forward. The only thing I'd say to that is, I think at the time that we proposed him, we didn't know that um, he'd previously done, you know, this work in relation to the Premier League's rules. That's in the judgment. That said, Beloff, you know, there is not an international sporting body or governing organisation that he hasn't acted for. These guys who are on the arbitral panel, all, they can all be Googled. You know, he's acted for the International Cricket Council, the Court of Arbitration for Sport, the Olympic Games, the Formula One, you know, you name it, he's he's been on it. So, you know, although the, the club did not know at the time that they agreed to him going forward that there was this potential conflict, you know, he was one of a very small number of lawyers who the Premier League would have gone to because he is that prominent at what he does. Yeah, the um, <clears throat> the club update, Yusuf, I appreciate that you've come and given us the, uh, the actual facts. It's got. It is quite. It's really cutting, actually, because it says, it says the chairman also failed to disclose when he was appointed that he'd been previously appointed by Bird and Bird, and in the last three years had been an arbitrator in twelve cases involving Bird and Bird. Um, like you say, it it sounds like that would have been, you know, potentially Googleable, <laughs> or you know, like a little bit of due diligence. Not that Norman's has put in the comments. Not the first time Mike Ashley's been fucked over by a lack of due diligence um, <laughs> in Newcastle United is it Yusuf um, I know you've, you've got to you've got to go soon um, and you talked about time frames there and you know it, it's very interesting my, my take and I'll just repeat it for listeners is um, I'm sick of all this um, you know we all well most people want the club to be sold but I, I very much fear for what Newcastle United is right now not what it might be after arbitration and just, I know you've got something else to say, but um, what? Just explain what this arbitration is, because I, I have a feeling that some fans think that this arbitration case will literally result in a judge selling the club, like literally having yeah. down the gravel and being like sold to the Saudis over there. But that's not the case, is it? No. So the the just a couple of things. So you know, the, no, the arbitration is on its terms. So the club has basically referred a question to arbitration. The arbitrators are going to be looking at the question of whether the Premier League's opinion that PIF is an arm of the Saudi state is correct or not. Now, if the club rules that that is not correct, then it doesn't mean that anything goes through. For, you, you, you're basically back to square one. You're back to where you were in, God, when was it? It's pre-pandemic, isn't it? Where we, where we were first reading about the rumours. So you're basically back to that. All of the commercial situation, all of the pricing, all of the commercial considerations that led to Stavely and the Rubens and Piff being interested in the first place have probably gone, particularly if we've gone down by that stage, which is looking more likely by the minute. And you're back to, you're back to stage one. No one's going to order the Premier League to, to let this go through. No one's going to order Ashley to sell the club. No one's going to order anyone to buy it. There'd just be a finding that on this occasion, the Premier League got it wrong. So we're many, 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 many months, if not years away 
from a takeover, even if we were to win the arbitration. Sorry, I know that's not going to be music to the ears of some. I, I, you know, we all want Ashley gone, but um, you know, it is what it is. And, and, and me and you had a chat, Yusuf, on WhatsApp this week. I think you know. I, I also, you know, I see stuff on the timeline. People saying, you know, Mike Ashley, we're behind you. He's doing his best for the club. I think Mike Ashley could easily sell the club um, if he dropped his asking price. And I've I've done some research and. Newcastle United at a, at, a, at a reported three hundred and fifty million pounds would be the most expensive football club ever sold in history. Um, Man United was sold for more, but it was a leverage takeover. In terms of cold hard cash, uh, Liverpool was sold for three hundred million um, back in two thousand and seven, maybe or two oh no two thousand eleven two thousand ten two thousand eleven. And you could argue about inflation and stuff, but Mike actually literally wants more money for a football club in a single transaction than has ever been asked for before. And if you consider the state and some of the things we're going to talk about today on this podcast of this football club, it seems like a it seems like a ridiculous request. But hey, he found a buyer. Amanda Stavely came up with the money. Um Yusuf, you've you've got to leave, I know, very shortly for another call. Is, is there anything else you'd like to say before before we say goodbye to you? No, it's just just on that really, you know, he did find someone who was prepared to pay 350 million, whatever it was, you know, but we're just not worth that anymore <laughs> if we were ever worth that we're not worth it now we're certainly not going to be worth it if we go down um either at that point or with opportunity going forward i mean i don't know what the finances of the saudi state like i don't know what stavely's private finances are like i don't know what the rubens finance are like all i know is the value of newcastle is is only going in one direction so i think all of all of that all of that means that you know it, Things don't go back just to the takeover going ahead, depending on how things happen now. So I'm quite pessimistic about it, not least because, as you say, uh, Ashley has always probably been looking for more than it's worth. Brilliant. Yusuf, thanks, mate. It's been a pleasure to chat to you. Hopefully we'll chat to you again soon on the pod. We'd love to have you back about anything, not just about this. Um, cheers. We'll let you go. Have a good... Cheers, good Bye now. Cheers, Right, lads, after that barrel of laughs, um, and depending on where you are, of course, I thought Yusuf was, is exactly the reason why I asked Yusuf, Yusuf onto the show is sometimes I feel with the takeover, a lot a lot gets lost in the emotion. And, you know, it's the same when we, we spoke to a couple of people and we did the, the special podcasts over the summer, you know, the one with Dr. Dr. Neil um, Quilliam. Uh, we've tried to take an analytical approach, and many thanks to Yusuf for providing that to us at short notice. Right, lads, who wants to talk about treason and other things like this i don't know i haven't we haven't planned this who who wants to give the listener just in case by some mad reason the listener does not know about what, what we are about to talk about who wants to give us a brief update of what has happened this week norman go on mate i don't even know if i need to give a brief brief update i mean obviously we go through the fact that um matt ritchie and steve bruce had an altercation on the training ground and we're going to talk about the subsequent press conferences on that the whole situation is hilarious and also very much in line with what we've felt about Newcastle United for a long time, that there are huge fractures within within that squad of players and between management and the players themselves. Um, and obviously, we, we had the, the Darlow story last week about Darlow basically finding out he was getting dropped through the Telegraph. That's had repercussions, of course. Bruce threw on his players under the bus at the end of the draw against Wolves. That was always going to rebound on him. We said it in the podcast. It's rebounded on him. Um and obviously, Bruce's subsequent reactions, the press conference today has come out with, 
he's come out with some. I mean, Bruce has come out with some belters since he, he took the job. Um, but today has just been. I mean, the absolute walnut on top of the massive shit cake that his their tenure at Newcastle has been. And the um, my favorite. I'm just going to read one sentence verbatim because it is beautiful in every sense. Um, and this is what he had to say, obviously, about Craig Hope um, breaking the story. A, a brilliant piece of um, sports journalism, by the way, by Craig Hope. Absolutely superb. If you're a journalist, I mean, that is absolutely gold, right? And the amount of traction it's got is incredible. This is Bruce on TalkSport today, talking to whichever numpty it is that TalkSport has on Houston. It's a huge story, and that's what we have to deal with. The story which the journalist got, unfortunately, he gets it correct. <laughs> now... Whether that's good journalism or what, I'll let him decide. <laughs> so, so in that sentence, he's basically said, it's unfortunate that the story's correct, but he's also questioning whether telling the truth is good journalism. I'm just, it just blew, it blew me away. And then obviously, the Darlow situation, he referred to the leak in his words as borders on treason, if you like. Treason. He's brought up a crime that no one, as far as I'm aware, in England has been prosecuted on since probably some war before they even had guns, or maybe they were using muskets. Um, so to bring that up, it's just, it's just truly spectacular. I mean, I genuinely, I could go on and on for ages, but I want to let other people get in because this, is, this has been one of the greatest press conferences. I mean, some of the, some of the greatest pat I've ever heard in my entire life. Fantastic. Just a really quick one. The club have banned Craig Hope. He's banned. From going to St James's Park. Power, for, power to Craig Hope. All power for, to Craig Hope. For, for, for literally telling the truth. It, and, it, and, you know, and Bruce admitted it. Bruce admitted yeah, it this, was the truth. This is <laughs> this abandoned. is the this is this is the thing. And really quickly on the Darlow leak, um, the thing is when when Bruce is talking about the Darlow leak being treason, the first person to leak it, Steve, was you. It's come from your head. So you've told someone before you've told Carl Darlow, and then that person <laughs> for it being leaked. Literally, it's not like it's some kind of you know well-known secret around the training ground that everyone was supposed to keep apart from that. Everyone knew apart from Carl Darlow. Like, everyone's like, you know, right, today, lads, just be normal around Carl. Just pretend like he's going to be playing next week. And then someone's told, well, it was it was Luke Edwards who broke that story. Um, funny enough, Luke Edwards is not banned. Make your own, you know, your own conclusions to that and why that might be. Um, right, all, all of you want to talk. I don't know, someone go, Norman... <laughs> Just let me say this quickly. Craig Hope has been banned from Newcastle United for telling the truth. What does that say to you about what actually goes on and what journalists don't put out there? Almost like, right, yeah, you can come to the press conference, but we're going to frame the narrative. We're going to tell you what you can write. And if there's anything that you know that's true, but we don't want you to put it out there, don't, because if you do, we'll ban you. That That's kind of what it's saying, and it's, it's a little bit scary and sinister at the same time as it's hilarious. Really quickly, because um, I'm keen to hear from other people on the podcast. My, you know, um, Bruce also thought um, what I think is a really unprofessional, disgraceful comment because he called Craig Hope in the same interview um, a so-called journalist, um, and it, it makes you wonder what someone reporting the truth, which is a, you know, the truth is a, a matter of interest, a matter of public interest. If that is a so-called journalist, I got thinking about what does Bruce think a journalist is, and then I remembered a journalist, to Steve Bruce, is someone who you're nice to, who lies, or who exaggerates the job you're doing. You know, Neil Custis last week, um, Steve Bruce did an excellent job 
Not a good job, not an okay job, an excellent job. Um, so Bruce probably thinks journalism is this career you go into where it's like nice lunches, a few pints at the county, sausage rolls if you've been good on him, straight across the road from Greg's, no expense spared. Um, and then you say nice things about his terrible football teams, Mickey. I mean, that's exactly what I was going to say. It's, you know, it's it's become slightly par for the course that he um, he disrespects people when the when he talks about them in public and you know calling Craig Hope a so-called journalist like it's it, it's it's absolutely hanging. You know, like Craig Hope is a professional, well-respected journalist. It's written written a really good piece of journalism about about Newcastle United, and he calls him a so-called journalist. It's it's it, I mean, it's just it's just laughable, isn't it? And um, I, I put I posted on on Twitter today another clip of someone calling he actually calls journalists so-called people, uh, Muller and the lad talking about talking about journalists who were critical of the uh, Italian ninety England team. It's worth it's worth a watch. Like it's one of the finest clips of any footballer talking about anything in the history of the world. Um, so have, have a look at that if you get a chance. The whole thing we've seen this coming because he's we've talked about before how terrible he is at handling the media how he doesn't prepare how and and, and we're kind of seeing this just slowly build up that the more people he threw under the bus the more trouble that that was going to cause and that was going to attract and there is we, we were even saying it before uh, the game that the you know I've, I've been saying it for weeks that the dressing room has to be fractured simply because he's not sharing minutes he's digging people out the way he treated Carl Darlow um, with all that, you know, like we, like we just mentioned, like th th this is all things that are in Steve Bruce's control. This is all him. He the book stops with him because he's in control of all of it. He calls the shots. He makes all the decisions. It's down to him apparently. So everything that goes wrong, like th th this has just been building up. The fact that he's digging out somebody like Matt Ritchie, which I kind of joked about on Twitter, like he's the he's the last person in the squad that you want to piss off because it's Matt Ritchie and. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna hold a grudge if you steal his like last biscuit. Do you know what I mean? Like he mm -hmm. is somebody who is probably very well liked in the squad. A strong personality, but I think you know he, he deeply cares about the club. That's clear to see. You know whether I think he should be in the side or not. That's that's irrelevant at this moment because what you absolutely can't do is dig somebody out like that. Now what that's created, which Alex men mentioned earlier on Twitter, is that instead of in, in, instead of a week before one of the most crucial games of the entire season, he's talking about smoking out a rat. He's talking about he's talking about what everyone else is doing wrong. He's talking about that journalists can't write the truth. Is he has, has he done any work this week about sorting out what tactical confusion caused a, a, an equalizer against Wolves that was wholeheartedly like completely preventable? What has he done? This story about days off. I mean, it's not fabricated, is it? We, we know that they've had days off. That's not fabricated. That's not ridiculous. That's literally just happened. So he's denying that as well. Like, we need to be concentrating. He needs to be focusing on how are we going to score without our three best attackers, the, the fitness of the whole squad, the shape, the formation, making sure that everyone knows exactly what's happening from a tactical perspective. And instead... He's he has created this circus, and yet he's annoyed at the circus is happening, and he initiated it all. This is all on him. Like I get deflection, I understand it when you're a, a person manager or you know in any to deflect a lot of media scrutiny. He is deflecting slightly, but to the point that he's causing even more distraction for himself, 
for his players at the most crucial time. We're at a crossroads here where he might have his last game at the weekend. It, it, that, that's a possibility. It's probably further from, from reality than we'd all like because we'd probably, I don't think anyone in this podcast right now wants him, wants him at the club anymore. But this is all on him, yet he's acting petulantly like a child. It's immaturity that he's just lashing out, thrashing at everybody near him and never t- t- holding himself accountable, which has been a problem from day one. And it's been a problem at every other club that we've that we've spoken to, that we've talked to, that we've seen accounts of, anecdotes from Villa, Sunderland, Hull. Injuries are the problem. Fans are out of order. Media getting it wrong. Like we, this is just history repeating, and he's he, he's getting desperate now. He's getting really desperate, and it's so so transparent. What I've what I've really not liked today is in his his interview response. He's almost over the top talked about how Matt Rich has apologised to him in front of the staff and in front of the players. And it's like constantly pushing back that blame onto Matt Rich as if the whole thing, this whole scenario was completely his fault. Like just disregarding the fact that it was, it was Bruce that didn't get the message out through the, through the player. It was Bruce that called the players out in the post-match interview. It was Bruce that refused to speak to him on the phone immediately afterwards it was Bruce that demanded he came out to his office and it was Bruce that came down from his office onto the training ground in front of everyone else and like physically barged into the play. It's as if none of that stuff happened and it's like, it's fine, everything's fine, don't worry about it. Matt apologised to the players, to me in front of the players. Like, what what planet is he on when he thinks that's all right? Well, he's created this narrative where the whole thing is about the main problem is this mole, that there's somebody disloyal to him. That's not the problem. The problem is that he's come out physically Physically, he's been involved in a physical altercation. I won't say assault because we don't know that that's happened. There was certainly a physical altercation that is being confirmed. If Matt Ritchie's apologised and Steve Bruce has made a huge thing about Matt apologising as if to say Bruce was never in the wrong, he's absolving himself, has there been... I've seen the closest... Has has Bruce apologised at all? The closest thing I saw was maybe... I should have handled the substitution tactical instruction thing better at the weekend. That's what he said. Maybe I could have handled the post-match interview better. But has there been any apology at all from the manager for this physical altercation that he completely initiated by storming out of his office and trudging down to the training ground, barging into Richie, and apparently Richie's not responded in a... hasn't responded physically. But you can't do that and just get away with it and just... He's still blaming other people. He's still blaming Craig Hope. He's still blaming the the mole. He's still blaming the leak. And he's probably still blaming Matt Ritchie as well. Like, just take responsibility, man. The, this is Bruce's press conference today. I'd recommend everyone reading the full transcript. I got it from the Shields Gazette website. Um, some of the, st- I mean, you go. It, it's it's Bruce in it. It's he doesn't. There's no filter. Like. You, you get you get at least Bruce's side of the story. And if, we, if we go back, because I wanted to touch on your point, Adam, that you've made there, which is a very good one, about the fact that we've got this massive game coming up. Not only have we had the club as as usual, and 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 um, you have talked about timing of of the release of this information about the takeover. So we've got that on the cards. By the way, Steve Bruce has already said before that takeover talk is destabilizing towards him and the rest of the players. He said that at the end of last season, um, and and you've got this idea that. That we're going to talk about the lack of training in a second, so we'll park that for now. But like you correctly say, Steve Bruce in his press conference today has talked about how they're doing everything they can to reveal the mole, and it's like, 
like as professionals, you'd expect them to be like obsessed about this West Brom game, like obsessed, like thinking about it, talking about it, creating an atmosphere within the team and the camp about how they're going to beat West Brom. And instead, you've got all the Steves and Graham Jones. I can imagine them with like maps in the training gra- in the in the in the office. They've got like you know um, they've, they've got like little pictures of people who it could be quite you know like a police like um, detective board where it's got loads of lines to different gangsters and stuff like that. <laughs> like Steve Harper and one of them massive question mark. It's got Matty Longstaff because we don't like Matty and all that kind of stuff. But um, <laughs> Norman's put uh, the literally waterboarding Christian as was to speak. <laughs> In the paddling pool or the weed bin outside. But um, just just again, just to return to Bruce's comments about Craig Hope, because, like, you know, people say Bruce, um, or, you know, we say it occasionally, has a lack of attention to detail. You know, he comes across when he says there's like eight teams in a relegation battle when there isn't. You know, when he says there's six or seven or eight or nine players out injured. It's just like, it's like a lack of attention to detail. Tell you what, he doesn't lack attention to detail on Craig Hope's list of crimes. Look at this for a rap sheet. And he, he, off the bat, this, by the way, in a press conference, off the bat, he goes, I'm going to read it out. <laughs> the reason he is banned, I think he certainly has got something personal against myself, and that has been from day one. Against Arsenal with the first substitution I ever made. Okay, we'll park that. We'll park that for a second. You're not saying he lied. You're not saying he was wrong. It's merely the fact that he reported that <laughs> that, go, that substitution and the failure to communicate rings a bell, doesn't it? What, we're nearly two years later or four? 19 months later, cost us a goal in the game. So he's 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 held on to that one, Steve. Um, he went he went to Norwich and he said, I couldn't even take a warm-up. Now again, um, the accusation was that the players weren't given any specific instructions in the warm-up. Normally you at the game, if I remember correctly. Um, I'd imagine you're nodding your head there. You would suggest that what you saw on the pitch was, was would probably cri- prove Craig's point that day. Oh. As newly promoted and relegated with a very low points total, Norwich could have won by a lot more than they did. Um, the next one on the rap sheet, it gets better than here. I mean, he, he, I'm not going to the full one now. He, he goes back to say he tried to derail us ahead, ahead of a big, ga- big game at West Brom, which is the cup game, uh, the last Newcastle game I was at nearly a year to the day. Um, Adam, you were there as well, obviously. Um, about a story about St. Anderson Maximin that I'd had a row with him. So you've got, you've got Steve Bruce on one hand saying he said I'd had a, a row with St. Maximin that uh, I didn't. On the other hand, in the same press conference, is talking about how he always rows with players and it's normal. <laughs> like, slight contradiction there. And then the, the best one for, the best one for me, which is like, no one's really picked up on this. <laughs> he gave away the team before we played Manchester United. <laughs> like, what? Like, I mean, first of all, it's not, again, it's not him, Steve. Like, the journalist has found it out of someone. It's not the journalist. It's someone in your inner circle is, is telling other people a journal, like if you tell a journalist something, it's going to be in a pit like a newspaper. Like it's not like the person is, is leaking that, but also it's like, I mean, the, the, the team against Man United that day, talking about the day, were one one nil. Matty, Matty Longstaff, you know, I think I think Federico Fernandez that day was really pissed off because he left them out of the squad. There was loads of players. Key was unhappy. So like all these unhappy players, and Steve, the issue with Steve isn't all these unhappy players who don't like him. It's the fact that. A journalist reported something, which again, I stress this, happened to be true. So, like, it's Steve Bruce's war on the truth. Um, he gave the team to the opposition, and he's supposed to be a big fan. Like, I don't think, again, I, I mean, Craig, I hope Craig, you know, Craig's been on the show many times. I hope he'll be on again soon, can defend himself against these. But I don't, I think that's a slight exaggeration of what happened. 
uh, I think you know, saying giving the team to the opposition. Like, is that what is that why we're so bad at the minute? To team sheets keep being leaked to the opposition. It's, I've gone on a bit here, but like Jesus Christ, this is a bloke quite clearly who harbors all of these very strong grievances against someone, and, and it's a big thing to, to to ban a journalist from entering the stadium, particularly in a pandemic. It's a big thing to do that to someone's professional career. Um, and, and from to harbor all these grievances, and none of them be lies, and none of them be made up apart from he say, he's arguing the maximum one, but the rest of it, Steve Bruce saying Steve uh, Craig Hope saying Steve Bruce can't can't organize a warm up. It's an opinion. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's 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 not a it, it, you know we we obviously have a relationship with the club. Lots of other fans have their say. Social media fan channels and it's it's different. But Jesus Christ, it seems a little bit like a war on a war on negativity from Steve Bruce. I don't know who wants to comment on that, if anyone. Yeah, I'll I'll come in. Like again, you're supposed to be a fan. Again, that's it's it's petulant playground stuff. I mean, Craig Hope went on a um, went on the was it the the PFA official podcast with Luke Edwards this week? I'm only halfway through. It's it's really good. Listen so far, talking about you know Keegan, Bobby Robson years and stuff and their experiences of that. And he and he says in his kind of intro, you know, uh, it's been a long time since he would have called himself a fan because he says first and foremost. I'm a journalist. I'm a professional, and and it's not. He's not going to not put out a story because he's a Newcastle fan. That that would that would be him not maintaining his integrity as a journalist. Like he's he's doing what he's supposed to do. He's doing his job, and if he's what he says is accurate, then there's absolutely no issue. There's absolutely no issue. Like you said, Alex, there is int- there, There's there's a you know there's the Newcastle fans paying Newcastle fans have a right to know this kind of stuff is happening at the club. We have a right to know. I'm glad that we found this out because, you know, the thing with Steve Bruce is, you know, he was support. He doesn't do tactics. He's not a progressive manager. We know this. We knew this at the start. What he had going for him was that he was personable. He's an arm around the shoulder manager who could instill belief and, you know, good, you know, just to create a good vibe, a good, you know, if he doesn't have, I guess the kind of Keegan, you know, Keegan wasn't necessarily a, a master tactician, but, Keegan had enthusiasm and he really, you know, he really, you know, he hyped up his, his own players to make them believe in themselves. And that created a, you know, a unit that was b- bigger than the sum of its parts. And, you know, they were driven by, by that belief, but that, that, that Keegan sort of, you know, lit a fire under them and said that you can be anybody you want to be. And, and, and a lot of them did. And we, we nearly sort of dared a dream to win the Premier League. It nearly happened. But with Steve Bruce, his personability, like, I'm not saying that anymore. And this was literally one of the only things he had going for him as, as a head coach of Newcastle United. He's not great on the tactics. He's had to bring somebody else to help him with it. His only thing was, at least you know, he's a good guy, he's a nice guy, he's good at man management. He is not showing any of this. There's no evidence to suggest that he's a good guy. I don't know where that myth came from. The, the amount of people and colleagues, peers, uh, fans, his own players, that he will criticise before he'll ever criticise himself. Like that's that's not that's not the act. They aren't the actions of a nice person. The way that you treat Carl Darlow and the way that you dug out the likes of um, Matt Ritchie in that situation. He's essentially blamed Matt Ritchie for that equaliser. It was his fault for not passing on the information. It's not. That's that's just that's so unfair. It's horribly unfair. Like so, he hasn't even got that. He hasn't even got the man manager thing anymore. He's he's lost that. So. I mean, what, what are we even looking at from as a head coach here? He's, he's an empty husk. He's got nothing to offer. He, he's done. He's finished. He, he, I don't know what he can do to make everything better. I don't think he possesses any of the traits and attributes that require us to get out of this situation, which he has created largely. It's, 
it's an absolute mess. And it, it, the, one of the main reasons that he's never endeared, uh, I've never been endeared to him, is 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 the way he talks in the press and the way that he deflects. It's If you just came out every once in a while, lads, and just said, do you know what? Uh, I got it wrong today. Uh, the, the, the players give me everything that I, that I told them to do, but I got this one wrong. We're going to go back to the training ground and we're going to sort it out. Now, that's the kind of talk I wanted to hear this week ahead of West Brom. It's a massive game. It was huge that we didn't beat Wolves. We, sh- we had to win that game. He absolutely cannot not win against West Brom. He just can't. We can't afford it. And and yet he, he, he I don't know what he, I don't know what he is anymore. He, he is nothing but detrimental to his football club. Nolan. Quickly, a couple of points. Um, they mentioned the they mentioned the Norwich game. That was like watching the real life football equivalent of a team that was on a Sabutio pitch. Like in, in the, the kind of pitch had just been moved we were all over the place. Um, and I also think in four years' time we're going to see Steve Bruce in like a golden lift at Trump Tower with Trump and Nigel Farage, um, celebrating Trump's re-election because that's the kind of pattern that, he, that he's at, right? Um, but in terms of um, the other interesting aspect of the press conference today was that the days off was raised and Bruce it I think Sunderland at Aston Villa has used the word histrionic or hysterical something along those lines right and of course he's used it at Newcastle as well a histrionic reaction to everything this is what Steve Bruce said in, in the space of one sentence today about the um, accusation that players are getting too many days off and by the way Bruce refuting the, the days off, or you know, admitting that that happened, saying basically, yeah, we had the days off, but we've had loads of games. I'll, I'll be very surprised if there were other clubs in the Premier League who have had as many days off. If he could throw that back and say, I know for a fact this club, this club, and this club have done the same, fair enough, hands up, right? But I don't think that's the case. And he also he said these words, bearing in mind the histrionics, it was ridiculous, absurd, obscene, and laughable, all in the same sentence. Now, that to me, and if you add in the fact that he's accusing someone of treason, that is pretty hysterical slash smacks of histrionics, don't you think? It really does, Norman. What I'm, what I'm, what I'm curious about is, you know, he's, he's, he's cited that he's referred to the sports scientists to, a, to schedule a plan for, for days off, which was apparently organised a number of weeks ago. Um, well, first thing, like, it's not working. You know, we've got we've got key injuries across the squad. Whatever that plan was has failed. So change so it. Sports scientist. So you bring in better sports scientists if that's a crack. because it's, it's not worked. Number like number two. You know, like that's the point, isn't it? Like it it is not working, and it's like indicative of his approach to management across the entire season and this and entire tenure here. Like something is something has been put in place, so the stick to it. Same same as the diamond formation that worked against Everton and in like twenty minute spells and other games. We're still playing it now. Because it's worked briefly, like there's no capacity to change with the moving times, and here we are. Yeah, and the the the, the point for me that Bruce doesn't grasp shock is that it's it's not about. I almost feel Bruce is thinks the outrage is because we, we don't think like we're getting our money's worth or we're working the players hard enough. The way he talks, it's like no, no. The issue is Steve is that there seems to be a massive lack of attention to detail in everything you do. And that comes across in the numerous examples we've talked about and have talked about on this podcast all season and during his tenure. And the numerous examples provided and cited by previous players under Bruce who've um, disparaged his training methods, who have disparaged his tactical input, who have disparaged his lack of um, response to bad defeats, 
I don't have to go through them again because we run out of time a little bit. But what I do want to highlight to, to Bruce or to the people listening about Bruce is not all training has to be physical. You know, I mean, I'm going back a long time here, but, you know, you look at documentaries uh, behind the scenes at the club, other Sir Bobby Robson uh, team meetings, you can you can work on tactics without without having to be on a training pitch. You can be in and you can be working without, you know, without without having to be doing sprints and shuttles and all that kind of stuff. And I think the concern is, and I referenced it earlier in this podcast, is we have to beat West Brom on Sunday. Someone quite humorously um, referred to it on Twitter as El Jurassico, which I thought was quite funny. Allardyce, maybe. Yeah, I saw that. Brilliant. <laughs> but um, I think it was Toon Mouth time, just to credit the the, the, the Twitter user. But, um, you know, I've, I've mentioned, like, Bruce seemed to, seemed to suggest, or it was suggested in Craig's Hope article, that Bruce's reaction to the Wolves game was to give them two days off. So they had two days off because of the performance of the result against Wolves. We've heard before Danny Rose mention that uh, they were lucky if they ever got a day off at Spurs. And this is last season in the pandemic, shortened amount of games. Danny Rose was shocked even during pandemic football how about how many days they were getting off. So I would suggest that the evidence out there suggests Steve Bruce is talking bollocks here. And finally on this point, because Adam, I think you're going to come in on this one. Finally for me, uh, someone tweeted earlier to a tweet I put out about this saying a couple of weeks ago, um, Spurs were beaten at West Ham and uh, Mourinho right after the game because it was in London took all of the players back to the Spurs training ground for a training session in a debrief because the result was so bad the defending was so bad and whilst you could argue perhaps that's um, not the right approach perhaps you could argue that it's Mourinho being hysterical could you imagine Steve Bruce doing the same thing Steve Bruce's reaction to negative results seems to be days off and we're starting to realise more and more why John Joe Shelby is such a big fan of this manager. No, absolutely. And what I was saying before about you know what what Steve Bruce isn't in terms of a head coach for Newcastle United, and that he's lost you know even that personability man management thing is if you if you if you remove all of those things and you know that you you know that you you're in a way above your head, would you not if you were in Steve Bruce's position would you not just work your arse off even if even if nothing came of it could you would you at least show willing and enthusiasm and just put in a shift and i and i don't think he's a manager as we've said as we've heard from anecdotes from this this very light training regime when does does when does he graft does he he, he clearly like we said before like after that old Trafford defeat and he's laughing with Solskjaer that was bad placement and but Surely after a defeat, most managers are furious, as we've said before, but they're, they're in their head. They're already thinking about, right, this is what we need to work on next training session. That's important. That needs to be corrected. This guy needs to start listening to what I've been telling him. He needs to formulate exactly how what the plan out of it is. How do you fix the tactical confusion? How do you solve the issue of not scoring enough goals with, with players out injured? How do you solve the fact that players too many players are getting injured? I don't think that Steve Bruce thinks about any of these things in advance. I don't think he thinks about it when he's sat at home. We know that previous managers absolutely do that and obsessed with it and work hard, have a strong work ethic. And I don't think Bruce even has that. And and that's something that uh, ability doesn't come into that. That's just laziness for me. And he's and it shows a lack of care for his position, respect for his position, and the club as a whole. He shouldn't be here. Yeah, absolutely. I think. Through all of this, despite how hilarious I found most of, of his utterances today, the brutal reality is it's shown again how 
incredibly thin-skinned and, and petty he is. And so let, let me give you an example. One of the things he said about Craig Hope um, was, this is, a, this is an actual um, quote, he's been on the radio, which he craves. The so-called journalist has had his 24 hours now, right? Now, that's it, yeah, it's defensive. It's a defensive reaction. If if Bruce hadn't have even, if he hadn't even brought that up at all, like it would have garnered him a bit more respect. But the mere fact that he did, and the mere fact that he's he, on numerous occasions he's, he's given these petty reactions and behaved like uh, very immaturely when you're in a relegation battle and all this pressure's on, like where do you take inspiration from as a player when when your gaffer is literally spitting the dummy? Every single time, even the slightest question is put on about his managerial abilities. And when when a true story is reported, he's throwing his ties out the pram. Like this is a relegation battle. This is like a multi-million pound relegation battle. This is hugely significant for lots and lots of people. The Newcastle fan base, the club as an entity, right? And this pressure is huge. And he can't even handle it when a journalist publishes a true story. He spits his dummy. It's it's really disconcerting. And to me, to as I see it today's press conference, regardless of how hilarious it was, it really has kind of put the final nail in the coffin in terms of we're getting we're getting relegated, um, barring obviously Fulham and West Brom being utterly abysmal between now and the end of the season, because that's certainly what we'll be. Well said. I think to finish it off, uh, this season for me is starting to, to look like a bad tribute act to the 2008-09 season. Takeover stuff, dominating, um, distracting almost, from the wider picture. No one thinking Newcastle were going to get relegated. A comfortable league position around Christmas time um, and, and a manager throwing barbs in every press conference. It's got to the stage now where every week Bruce's press conferences are much, you know, there's a lot of interest in them because not be, because everyone knows he's going to say something incendiary, untrue, or like, you know, offensive towards either like, you know, <laughs> Journalist, the fan base, player. Well, well, they, 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 this, the press conferences have become the story. Yeah. They are the focus. They, it shouldn't be. It's about yeah. him. It shouldn't be. E even the discussion today about days off um, takes you back to Joe Kinnear's first press conference and why he got so annoyed at Simon Bird, because I think it was Simon Bird reported that on his first day, Kinnear gave the players the days off. So it just shows you that it's just one big fucking circle under Ashley. I look forward to season like 31 32 if i'm still alive um when i don't know think of someone ridiculous who who's a ridiculous darren ambrose is newcastle manager and uh and is talking about giving players days off it'll be the the same kind of thing uh if there's nothing else lads mickey you look like you're gonna say something 10 years alex you're 31 years young mate and you're hoping that you're alive in 10 years time christ what a way to finish <laughs> <laughs> Oh, he'll still be younger than me in 10 years, which is uh, just a pain for reminder of me middle age. So cheers for that. Right, this has been the True Faith Podcast, a bonus podcast, where we're going to put this out for, for patrons. But me and Norman did an extra patron podcast this week where we'll talk through the 05-06 season in tribute to the sadly departed Glen Roder. Uh, lots of positive feedback about this. If you like this show, I think now you can pay in pounds rather than dollars. It's £5.50 a month to be a patron and get more of this True Faith Newcastle United content. And if you're watching on YouTube, remember to give us a thumbs up, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment. We'll get back to you. Thanks to you, lads, for your time. Thanks for listening and watching. We'll be back. Uh, not quite sure which day, Sunday afternoon or Monday night, um, after Newcastle's massive must-not-lose-must-win game at West Brom. 
Speak to you. Spring is in the air at Littleton Coin Company, and we want to help you brighten your collection. Visit us at littletoncoin.com all month long to enjoy 15% off your purchase. With a wide selection of coins, paper money, supplies, and more, Littleton Coin Company has something for every collector's taste. Use promo code SPRING at littletoncoin.com for 15% off your purchase all month long. Restrictions apply. Littleton Coin Company. Serving collectors since 1945.